Hello and welcome to the Show Up Podcast, a place where we explore this thing called leadership, how we make sense of it, and a space where you can do the same. A chance to reflect on how you show up and how you can be the best leader possible in the world in which you work today. And thank us, thanks for joining us um, in the latest episode of the Show Up Podcast. And I'm delighted to say that this this episode, we are joined by um, Ian Hallett of IWG PLC. Um, he represents for me an example of uh, a leader um, that uh, I think role models a whole host of the characteristics we've talked about on the show over the last season or more. Um, somebody who strikes me as being um, a figure that for many aspiring leaders they'd look to and say, how do I follow the path that this man has sort of um, you know, carved through life? Um, he is variously uh, a father of three wonderful children, married to Barbara, um, and he and I had the great pleasure of getting to know each other. Well, I certainly did. I don't know about him. I had the great pleasure of getting to know him in the late 90s at Arthur Anderson, whilst Arthur Anderson was still a thing. Um, and has gone on to work for the likes of Energist PLC, Lloyds Bank, um, HBOS, not necessarily in that order, um, and is currently at IWG. Um, and we look forward to hearing a little bit more about his journey. Um, and I'm joined here by Graham today, who's hey. going to be interested to, interested in hearing a little bit more from Ian. So, Ian, welcome. Welcome. Morning, guys. Morning. Good to see you. Good to see you. Ian, well, I'm I... going to kick off with a really early question because Jamie's probably got loads, but I'm going to go in there right early. <laughs> because I want to get to the bottom of one thing. What motivated you and your leadership journey that you've been on in that career that Jamie's just described? So you basically started with the biggest possible question you could. <laughs> so I think that the the motivation changed over time. Uh, and the leadership journey started quite a long time ago, actually, before I started work. And I didn't really call it leadership at that point, but being captain of the cricket team and the golf team when I was 15 years old was a style of leadership. Mm -hmm. And, you know, don't ask me why I was selected for those positions. I was probably one of the better players that um, in the team, that's kind of how it was done in those days. It wasn't about your leadership qualities necessarily. Uh, but the, 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 the nature of, if you like, having responsibility for an outcome um, really started when I was when I was a child and I enjoyed it so if you think about what was it that was the driving force I enjoyed having responsibility for delivering a result for delivering an outcome I enjoyed helping my teammates even at that young age uh, do well I got great satisfaction from people doing a great job at something um, I remember having to call people up uh, and speaking to their mums and telling them that their child had made the golf team and how elated they were about that. So, you know, maybe I was just very, very lucky. I know lots and lots of people have been, you know, I had leadership experiences at an early age and, you know, I'm not alone in that. And I certainly wasn't pay playing at a particularly high level. Um, but without knowing it, I kind of got the bug. So the motivation has never been about power authority, money, those types of things that are typically associated with people with ambition. It was just that I enjoyed doing, doing it. And as I've progressed my career, the motivation has always been around, do I like the people that I'm working with? Do I feel like I enjoy the topic that they're working on? And do I think I can make a contribution? And if the answer is yes to all three, I'm, I'm all in. Nice. Thank you. Um, how would we you just take this to a conversation about golf captaincy now? Because I had the same thing when I was younger. So let's just go and talk about that. No, Jamie, go on. Go on, mate. Well, I was as an intermittent golfer, I think I played as regularly um, as I've seen you, Ian, over the years, which is probably about you know, 10 times in total. So um, I don't think I can really join in that conversation. Um, I'm interested, though. So the motivation isn't necessarily about something that's traditionally associated with leadership. How would you characterize your leadership journey, therefore? It's so I don't see it as a leadership journey and I don't even see as what I uh, have done in the past as being 
a leader or leadership. I see it as an outcome of something that I did. So I would characterize it as looking for interesting problems or opportunities and doing my best to make a difference. And I think in my 20s, I hadn't quite honed this method, if you like, but I kind of develop, adopt a common method irrespective of the role that I'm doing. And it's along the lines of what are we trying to do here and why are we trying to do it? So I have a form of a vision that can be exciting to both me and the people that um, I want to convince to bring on this journey with me and also any of the stakeholders that matter. Um, how do we know whether we're successful? So I use objectives and key results, OKRs, as a methodology to translate what is often a abstract vision into a concrete set of objectives. Who can work with me on this? Who's both interested, motivated and capable and brings things to the um, to the party that I cannot bring? Uh, and then finally, um, then you just get on and do it. And it's relentless after that. So the journey is, I would say, probably 10 or maybe 12 episodes of, you know, as short as a year to as long as five years um, of taking on something, but using that kind of model. And I've tried to, as, as long as the underlying principles are, I'm interested, I can work with great people, you know, and I feel like I can make a difference, then I'm almost indiscriminate about what the opportunity is. I'm quite happy to take things on that um, that may not be conventional with what I was doing in the immediate past or or at all. So there's not really been a journey, Jamie. There's been a set of principles that's informed the journey. And then the outcome has been a change. So we started with this, we ended with that. And I was no longer adding sufficient value to continue on that journey, or I found an alternative thing that was more interesting at the time. And therefore, the outcome was a change that I led. And people can then call you a leader of that change if you want. But that's not how I was thinking about it. It's not how I think about it. That's fascinating, because we've talked a lot about leadership journeys. And here we've got an example of somebody who's not approaching it with that as an, an explicit intention. Yeah. Um, a series of uh, application of principles. Um, what have you noticed about yourself as you've gone through these cycles um, over the last few years then? The, the, I would say that my early success in, you know, I was, a, I was a strong individual contributor earlier on in my career. Um, you know, I worked hard. I was smart enough to hold my head above water uh, and, um, and I was able to learn quickly therefore about the things that were on my on my plate and as i've got more experienced more senior i've got much better at not doing any of the work uh, and that means that you know i remember i got some great advice interestingly jamie from your dad who's a prolific <laughs> headhunter uh, and he and a great coach of, of mine as well uh, and he once said to me i must have been in my early 30s or late 20s the job now, Hallett, as he would as he would uh, talk to me, would be to um, do less but deliver more, and that has stuck with me uh, because I was a good doer, uh, and the journey has therefore been: how can I find people that can do all the things that I could do, plus do all the things that I can't do? So therefore, my role here is to be the architect and to monitor whether things are occurring in the way that we want them to occur. So the transition from being the person doing the work to being the person that's doing none of the actual work, but orchestrating the work has been the key shift. And the further I've gone along my journey, the more pronounced that has been. That's a very interesting um, inflection point then. And you, you credit my father for sort of stating that out loud. Um, we talk quite a lot about what we would refer to as the golden age of leadership, which is those people who are approaching their late 20s through to maybe their late 30s, early 40s, where they are taking on leadership responsibility or accountability for the first time, or they're moving through leadership. And you've talked about, therefore, somebody drawing your attention to 
a shift that's required. What do you think would have happened if that conversation hadn't happened? I'm not sure, actually. It's a great, it's a great question. Um, I'm quite a systematic thinker. Uh, and, you know, I try to create systems that are repeatable and and work. So I probably either would have come across somebody else that role modeled those behaviors or had pointed that out or at some point worked it out for myself. But it might have taken me an extra 10 years. So, <laughs> so I think what it did is that good piece of intervention, which I'm sure I'm sure your 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 dad cannot remember um, even saying it. Uh, uh was quite transformative in how I approached things. And I think gave, gave me an accelerated approach to, um, to the, to the decade that was my thirties, I guess. That's really interesting. How did it feel to have to make that change or to try and make that change? This is the problem. And I, and I was, I was with an old colleague over the weekend um, who uh, is an astonishingly capable individual and really struggles with delegation because frankly there's nobody in the room that can do the job better than he can uh, and that is one of the key difficulties is to understand what value you are adding um, and where you need to add your value and it's not necessarily um, where you added it in the past uh, and finding people that can do the work the time-consuming often work that you can also do, but to the level of quality that you're expecting um, is is one of the cornerstones to allowing others, trusting others to take on the remit of things that you would ordinarily and naturally find enjoyable and effective doing it yourself. And then also adding to that people that have absolutely no interest in doing those things but are hugely valuable in an array of other uh array of other things that you are not necessarily inclined to do or um or particularly good at doing um so for me it was about choosing deliberately choosing to let go of things that i enjoyed doing and i do find myself dabbling with this excel spreadsheet every now and then because i do enjoy it um and uh just to keep your eye yeah, right. Yeah, keep make sure I'm I'm still keeping keeping my form up, uh, and writing the odd PowerPoint, um, but I keep that to the absolute minimum uh, because I know that that's not really what I should be doing. So that experience and that kind of transition mm -hmm. you made and have taken sort of through your career, it seems like it's paid off because of the results you get in and how things are being achieved. You seem very content with the results that you get these days on, on the whole, that's the impression I get just listening to you. As you're looking at the teams that you create around you, where does that experience start to feature in some of the observations and the guidance and the support and the leadership that you demonstrate every day? So if, if I, if I, I may end up answering this indirectly, but I'll do my best to, 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 to address it. When I'm thinking about the team, I'll start off by thinking about what's the structure of the team uh, and how do I, what, what's the pattern of the structure? And, you know, I've, I've assembled this pattern as being a chief marketing officer through to being responsible for the design and construction of hundreds of buildings a year through to running a big mis-selling remediation program in a bank. So there's three very, very different experiences, but the model of the team setup was close to identical in its nature. Okay. Um, so first role I always hire is an analyst. Uh, I hire the best possible, usually somebody with five or six or seven years experience that are fantastic at Excel and PowerPoint, and they're super smart. They are always better than I ever will be on that topic, which is my favoured way to spend my time <laughs> so right. I make sure I have that person in in place and that person with me helps to inform the conversion from the the vision to the objectives and the key results because in, in the end the key results are measurable things that we need to be able to ensure are you know, hang together coherent when they're all delivered the delivered that you know the vision gets achieved mm -hmm. and then it, it's it's about 
the the mix of the team and 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 then generally speaking i will have somebody that's very early on in their leadership journey but has huge potential someone that's somewhere in the middle and someone that's a decade you know two or three people that are a decade or yeah also older than i am more experienced than i am um although it's quite hard to find because as i get older these people have already retired so (laughs) so, so i'm finding that i'm that that range is not kind of working out in the way that it used to um so the 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 blend of experience is really important to complement the the analyst insights person but then there's domain or domain expertise and preferences are given and i, and I won't go into that because it's mm. very different whether you're doing construction or doing a remediation program for, for a bank yeah i get that's that's the that's the technical thing that, that's actual, a technical thing yeah correct it's a prerequisite for yeah. the situation that you just have to be certain of when you're when you're appointing these people but it's i'm talking about the nature of the people yeah um so i almost have one or two people that are programmatic people change type people they can take complicated big programs and they can coordinate a load of people to deliver them because that's always seems to be a feature of uh, of the jobs that i've done so far i almost always have someone that is has high degrees of empathy and they're the ones that would point out that um that we're not doing enough team events or there's not enough recognition with the team or we're um, not necessarily hiring the right types of people or, or or managing those that are inconsistent with the values that we're trying to to deploy and have in our organization. So that is an example. Those two things, I'm okay at programmatic change and I'm okay at the culture stuff, but I'm not world-class at those two things. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really important to me that I have one or two or three people of my team that are world-class at those things. Otherwise, I will just not succeed. It, it would just not happen. Um, and then quite quite interestingly, what's left is, generally speaking, um, whoever you know, whoever is typically the best for the job. Um, so so it's you know they they could be very experienced, have lots of empathy. They could have be very pragmatic. They could have all of those things. They could be analytical. But you know it's it's less important because actually what's left are the things that I'm also good at. Uh, so so you you end up structuring the team or I end up structuring the team like like that. Um, but as always, there's there's always this kind of base level of um, uh, capability approach that I'm always looking for with these people. And, you know, there's a there's a level of work ethic. There's a level of um, domain expertise in whatever I'm asking them to do. Um, and there's a level of track record that I'm looking for that if they've got those three, everyone has to have those three ingredients um, to, 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 if you like, get through the door in the first place. Interesting. Insightful. How, when you set out on your sort of first leadership role, I mean, I'm not talking about the cricket or golf captain, yeah. uh, perhaps so much as in a corporate sense. How long did it take you to work out the method that you now use? Uh, well, I certainly uh, my first my first leadership role was at Energis, where I was asked to take on in a finance function team of about twenty five people, and I was twenty seven years old. I think so. I remember. Yeah, you do remember that. Um, and yeah, frankly, I had no idea what I was doing, uh, and uh, I made enough mistakes to learn from. So I wasn't so bad next time, I think is probably the way I would describe it. So I think the, <laughs> the, the, the reality, Jamie, is I think that it probably took me a decade of different types of experience to really work it out. And, and the big the big shift was when I went to um, HBOS uh, when it was still a challenger bank in the UK. And after about 18 months, I was asked to lead one of the regions of the Halifax branch network. So... I can't remember how old I was. I was 29 or 30. So it was it was quite a, a big job for a, a relatively young person. Um, although I wasn't alone in in that. That was kind of the HBOS culture. They like to promote uh, people into, into difficult positions for their own development and, and so on. Um, I had a team of about one and a half thousand people across 75 Halifax branches. And the minute you don't know the name of everybody in your team, you cannot 
you cannot have anything other than a system to make your team work. Uh, and uh, and that's when I started to, I did that job for a couple of years. I actually loved it. It's probably still my favorite job that I've ever had. Um, and um, the, the, the nature of how do you get, you know, 500 banking advisors engaged in a story around helping customers doing the right thing, making sure we're promoting our proposition in the right way in a systematic way. I mean, that's quite a difficult thing to do, um, quite a difficult thing to learn how to do. But that was so formative. Um, it it really put me in good stead for the future. So I was quite lucky, I think. In fact, I've had a, a career of luck. And that was one of the biggest bits of luck that I've had is to be given that opportunity. So giving you a moment to just walk down that path of nostalgia that just came across your face, Ian. Um, what was the most <laughs> memorable moment of that role that made it so enjoyable for you? I, in, in my first 90 days, I made a pledge to go and visit every single branch. And uh, that's that was one branch a day on average, but it was yeah, quite difficult. I was just doing the math pretty quick. So yeah, yeah, so, yeah excluding weekends, which I didn't, I didn't do because I had three young children at the time, yeah. or one, one or two coming. I can't remember what it was. Uh, and actually, the 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 impact of going into a branch and almost ignoring the management team and going to the counter and talking to the people that were actually serving customers, which was an instinctive thing. I just did that. I wasn't really thinking about it, mm -hmm. but I noticed that that had quite an impact in how people felt. Um, I know why I did it because I used to work in shops and, you know, do frontline kind of jobs. And I mm -hmm. had much more in common with the people that were serving customers than I did with the branch managers. So I kind of felt like that was the, that was where I just gravitated towards. Yeah. And I hadn't really understood that that was an important thing for those people. And I, I just didn't even see myself as someone that was worthy of even that kind of, it wasn't even, uh, it, was, it wasn't, wasn't grandiose or anything. It was just a worthy of that kind of impact. I just didn't feel like it was valid mm. um, yet. You know, people that have been working in this business for 30 years, always doing the same job, probably part-time quite often, seeing loads and loads of change but in the end they were still there doing a great job for customers that was i i love that i love that element of it you still do uh, it today i do it less than i should one of the difficulties with our business is we're in 120 countries and three and a half thousand locations so it's quite difficult to go and see any of them <laughs> say, that's, yeah. a ten, that's a 10-year program including yeah. weekends yeah. 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 even, yeah. I, even exactly. I could do the maths on that one <laughs> it'd be a brilliant business trip though <laughs> Family, you're coming with me. We've got an RV and it's going to take us to all of them. So, <laughs> so you seem very well versed in the elements that have really paid a part in your career and the success that you've had. I'm curious, what parts were actually learned on the job, but also what did you learn outside of the actual dance floor of work that helped you be as successful as you've been? I would say almost all of it was on the job, but... I made sure I worked with really great people and made sure my managers, the people I was, I was ultimately reporting to, were of the mind to give me some space, but also give me some great coaching. Hmm. Uh, so I actually think that if you do, if you choose not to go down the kind of training courses, MBAs or whatever it would be route, hmm. Um, which I would recommend, actually. I'm, I'm doing something now, which I'll talk about in a moment, which mm. which helps to clarify something. But the having a a really excellent line manager uh, is is the critical success factor for me, uh, and deliberately choosing them is probably the most important thing that I have done anyway mm. uh, in in my journey uh, that's helped my career. Very interested by that. So, how do you go about if you're thinking about the audience for this podcast, many of whom will be at that stage where they might be going through a transition? How do you go about making sure you choose the line manager that helps you grow and develop and coaches you? Well, there's there's a there's a few things that I, I always look for. So, the first thing is what's the personal connection? That's a that's an obvious thing, and I think that everybody would do that. 
Um, but it's important to study that individual's career. What actually, what decisions have they made? And can you imagine um, what was going through their mind through their development process that enabled them or, or, or encouraged them to make the types of changes or decisions that they made through their career? Um, do they seem to uh, assemble a really high quality team of people? Or are you the high quality person in a team of people that uh, that are not, that's not got the consistent level of ambition or or growth mindset that that one might want to have if they're trying to make make a difference? So the combination of what have they done and how do they set their team up for me is is quite an important thing. So I will always um, sometimes it's not possible, but I will always if I'm if I'm looking at a, a new opportunity, I always look at the team that's around this person. Um, I worry less about where that person sits in the organization. So particularly earlier on in my career, when I wasn't reporting to the chief executive of the company, um, the, uh, the, the, the nature of the, the, the person was much more important than their standing in the organization for me anyway. Um, because organizations are big. If I think about the size of Lloyd's banking group, it's just an enormous organization and almost doesn't matter you're, everyone's anonymous unless you're you know reporting you know one of the 10 or 12 people that reports to the chief executive or a handful of others so in a sense it makes little difference the standing of that function of that individual or even of the role that you're doing for your own development perspective it makes a difference when it comes to how you navigate your career within a big organization um but but when it comes to your own personal development it's, I, I found that to be less important and was rarely if ever a selection criteria so i i have done jobs working for people that where the person i felt like was more developmental than the job i was going to to take uh, and it turned out to work out quite well so that's on the face of things sorry jamie go no no just saying i'm just echoing the, that that's been the priority the developmental path yeah for you yeah Back to you, Greg. So I was going to say, let's flip the coin. What's the hardest bit about all of this stuff for you? Well, we haven't talked about any of the hard stuff. So yeah, I was going to. I was, it felt about you, time. You see, so yeah, you can you can you can tell a great story like I like I've tried to to tell, but what's missing from the story is the yeah the actual reality of the experience of waking up in the morning and realizing everything is going wrong. Uh, and it's your responsibility, it's your accountability to sort it out. And you are not the person doing the work. Somebody else in your team that you've structured, you've created, you've hired, it, either directly or indirectly, are the ones that can get you out of this mess, mm. whatever it is that you're in. So there have been countless times where I have felt completely out of control. Um. I said more more of a um, common feature than I think many leaders choose to share, mm. where you you kind of know what to do because often you've had the first hand experience to solve the problem, but the problem is that you're not the one doing it, mm. uh, and um, that's really difficult. And it and you know and also I, I think what's what's difficult is balancing being a parent and being a good husband. That's really difficult um, and. Uh, people don't talk about that very much either. Uh, and, you know, you, you see these kind of uh, leave alone being a good friend uh, to, to people that you enjoy spending your time with outside of that and, you know, looking after yourself and exercising or, or, or doing, doing something that you enjoy doing. These are the difficult things um, that, that, um, that make the whole journey difficult. And it's a, it's an internal um, mental health issue fundamentally it fundamentally manifests in levels of stress not sleeping well feeling unwell um perhaps not eating properly uh feeling overwhelmed you know these these things are real it doesn't matter how successful someone has been mm. or is it would be incredibly unusual for them not to experience those real emotions which can often be physical manifestations of those mm. emotions as well 
And did you tend to go down in the early stages when this happened? Did you tend to go down the swan on the water route or did you go down the Tasmanian devil route of sort of behavior on the back end of these tough moments? Well, if you were to talk to people in my team, they would think that I was the calmest person around because I didn't externalize it in that way. Right. Um, but when I when I was on my own, I was a different person. You know, I was like, <laughs> I was deep breaths calm down you know the, these are real things that yeah. in certain times certain points of my career where i've just had to do it but i've i did learn to keep calm in front of others uh particularly my team um and uh and sometimes that comes across as a bit clinical or robotic and i actually interestingly have toned that down a bit and shown my frustrations learned to show my frustrations a bit more uh, and learn to show that I'm finding it difficult as well, a little bit more than than zero, which is what I would have done ten years ago. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm I I appear to be um, the swan, but I'm paddling pretty hard under the surface. <laughs> One of the things that um, I think you and I have talked about it in the not distant past, and is um, some research that is underway right now. Uh, a chap called Nick Petrie has been doing some research really for about the last 18 months into uh, this thing called burnout. And actually what you just touched on there around the externalization and the internalization of stress and the buildup of overwhelm. Um, one of the things that has come out of the research that he was interested by was that executives who appear to prolong their career maybe overcome some of those challenges, which what you're describing here is something that you've experienced as well, which is there are moments where it's all going wrong and you get overwhelmed and you want to show a, a nice calm face to the outside. Something that characterizes those who've been able to really handle that is that they've found an opposite. And when he says opposite, it's not about the performance in the business and being a great leader there and, and then looking at your own personal development. It's something completely different, something that allows you to kind of get complete diversion from the day to day. Have you have you ever thought about whether you've got an opposite? It's probably my family. It's probably my family. If that's if that's the nature of opposite that that he's talking about. So I've made sure I made some mistakes when my children were very young about just continuing the behavior of my twenties, which was working pretty hard and you know, arriving leaving home in the morning before I saw them and getting home at the end of the day when they were in bed. So I didn't really, I got to see them on the weekends and that was it. And I realized that wasn't great for my wife. In fact, terrible for my wife and, um, and, and awful for my children. So I made a very conscious point of managing my working hours, making sure I didn't do weekend work, making sure I didn't work in the evenings and forcing whatever work I had to do in the, in the conventional working day um, and therefore, when I wasn't at work, what was I doing? I was either with my wife and kids or doing some vocational thing or um, with some friends. And that was the, that is, continues to be the thing that helps to deal with any stresses that I might or any any difficulties that I might have in my day job. That's the switch That's off. Very interesting. That's the switch, That's is switch it? Off. That's the yeah. switch off, get into a different place, get your head in a different zone be a different form of you i imagine that allows you absolutely. to absolutely sort of completely different yeah yeah completely different and, and and more recently you found something else as well now you mentioned earlier on a little bit about um uh sort of other stuff that you're now doing i mean i, I know there's only certain certain amount you can tell us perhaps today about some of the other stuff you're doing but you've decided to go put a foot back in academia i have yeah so this is this is a really interesting deviation if you like um so I was, i'm doing a phd uh right now uh, alongside my alongside my day job which is slightly insane when you consider how much time it takes to, to do my day job have a family and then you start to lob on a phd on top of that um but they're very very complementary uh and you know i mentioned earlier about um professional development and formal professional development I was never one for doing the MBA and those types of things and can't really explain why, but it just didn't appeal. But I did like the idea of doing some genuine research, some well-grounded, academically robust research into areas that I thought were interesting and important. And 
since doing it i've been i'm i'm entering my second year now it's a three to seven year journey depending on how long uh how well depending on what you're researching and whether you find anything that's novel and all those types of things um but the thing that is very interesting is that the quality of my work has increased as a result of being in an academic environment um no longer well you know when when it was described to us what a phd research project was you know they were described as you know in a business you may be making decisions on a 60 40 basis you'll make a you'll hire a consultancy to help you get to 80 20 and an academic is 99 1 uh so, <laughs> so the, the level of robustness that you have to have in order to prove that what you're saying or what your hypothesis is is, is indeed true has translated into my day job so the um the intuitive decisions that can be wrong i'm now making sure i'm i'm actually just naturally not even consciously doing it i find myself making different types of decisions or asking for different types of robustness to the thought process or to the analytics or whatever it is to help me feel confident that we're we're, we're making it work and not not we're making the right decision but not just in the in the nature of decision making i think the the topic that i've chosen which is really trying to create um or have a hypothesis around how external transformative forces affect businesses and human society uh, just having an opportunity to research what's going on in the world uh, and trying to make sense of that is just incredibly useful for general knowledge of being someone that's relatively senior in a in a in an organization um so it's just it's just new knowledge as well as new disciplines which i think has been very very helpful fantastic look forward to reading hearing seeing what the outputs of all that are whenever that time might be so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i i remember that journey a little bit myself when i did my masters and it's great and exploratory and wonderful but the end never feels quite close enough <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah so um so let's just thinking practically forwards great career successful sounds like you've had lots of chance to reflect lots of opportunities to grow and evolve as you've done it three do's and three don'ts for the listeners of this podcast that they could take forwards in their experiments in leadership um so do make sure you work with fantastic people do make sure you learn how to um hire and motivate fantastic people to help you um and do make sure that you're doing something that you really enjoy Three and those don't I, I wouldn't i wouldn't offer any don'ts because really? every is a learning experience i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily say to someone don't do this i mean that sounds like i know their situation and i don't so I would just say just give things a go and and you know if things if things don't go to plan then that's still okay mm -hmm. um, so i wouldn't i wouldn't propose any don'ts other than the opposite of those three do's <laughs> awesome <laughs> this is this is how ian's carved his career by saying yeah those are the instructions i'm just going to ignore those <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give you four do's instead of three do's and three don'ts <laughs> that's absolutely fine by me so jamie your final yeah. thoughts um, my final thoughts. Well, you know what? It's been a real pleasure, Ian. Uh, you and I spend a fair amount of time chatting, but we don't often get a chance to explore very specifically what you're describing as the non-journey, but Ian, Ian Hallett as a leader. Um, and it's been fascinating to hear um, elements of how you've, you look at it yourself, some of the important things that have happened for you, to you, advice you've got. Um, and I'm hoping that uh, you know, with this next stage of your life and career, you can continue to enjoy and flourish with the academic uh, academic side of things. Um, I, I am really, by the way, looking forward to reading more about that in due course. Um, and I think many of the listeners will be keeping an eye out for that as and when you can publish anything. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you very much indeed for making some time today. Um, Ian Hallett can be found and followed on LinkedIn um, if you want to keep a, an eye on what he's doing. Um, and uh, I really just appreciate listening to you today. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you, guys. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Ian.
So, gentlemen, I've just had the pleasure and the frustration of listening to the two of you have a wonderful, interesting chat with Ian Hallett, um, not being able to contribute or ask any questions, just having to sit on my hands and take notes. So now I'm looking forward to our debrief chat about how that was for you guys. That's that's an example of doing less but making more happen in reality. That I, I, if you say so, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a that's a nice interpretation, Jamie. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, I mean, I found that I found that firstly, like, what a lovely guy, mm. and the the thing that really struck out for me, which he didn't say explicitly, was that. For me, his leadership and ego, a real desire to work with people and alongside people and and be as part of the team. And I thought that was really fascinating. Uh, and I've got some interest that he took out, but I'd love to hear from you boys about how you found that, what your immediate reflections were. Jamie, can I just check something? Did you get broken up Derry as he said that? I did indeed. Yes. Would you mind saying that again, Derry? So when we I edit it, it sounds wonderful. Sure. From which bit? The first thing that struck me. Okay. Uh, is is this stable now, as far as you can tell, in terms of the yes. connection? The audio is, yeah. Can you hear me okay? You can hear you as videos jump in, okay. so... Fine. I don't know what's going on with my connection, but anyway. So the big thing that struck me, and he didn't say this explicitly, but one of one of the things that really stood out for me was the lack of ego that Ian has in his approach to leadership. He was totally centered around working with great people and connecting with people in his teams, regardless of how big those teams were. And I just thought, what? What a lovely guy! What a lovely approach to to leadership. That humility and lack of ego really came through. Uh, there's loads of other interesting stuff. Your reflections, fellas, on yeah, how that was I, for you. Yeah, I think for me, and what you the, took from it. The thing that stood out for me the most, I agree, is he's never concentrated on being a leader. He's recognized that he needs to have the capacity to engage people in order to make things happen. And those things that he makes happen are stuff that he's interested in achieving. For me, that stood out really, really clearly that he's always had an idea of this is something that's going to motivate me. It's going to help me stretch. It's going to help me grow. I want to fulfill this, making making this happen. And he's then looked at what he needs to be and what he needs to put around him to make that happen in the most humble way i probably heard in most modern leaders right um like you didn't get any sense of ego got a sense of purpose but i didn't get any sense of ego um and there was no he talked about the swan on the water and there was a real sense that he was composed in who he is when he works there's nothing in there of him trying yeah. to be someone that he's not. There's nothing in there of him trying to stretch people when he doesn't want to be stretched or doesn't think the moment needs that level of stretch. He will recognize the moments doing, he'll bring people along to get there. But I really got this sense that he's pretty balanced most of the time with what he does and how he takes it on. Jamie, what were your thoughts? Well, it's first. It's it's interesting. Thank you for sharing your observations there. Um, what struck me initially, I've got two or three things. Um, was he described this? It's not a journey, and certainly what he then described was a series of lessons that he's learned about iterations of solving problems that are typically purpose-driven, exciting, interesting, intellectually stimulating. So that that was fascinating. He hadn't set out to as it were, go on a leadership journey, um, uh, which gives me pause for thought about perhaps how we've, how some of what we've described 
aligns to or differs from his own experience of that. Um, the second one was um, how he has, over those iterations, developed um, a, a method, an approach, a pattern of how he goes about structuring, which is really very rooted in that of what appears to be absence of ego and awareness and incredible self-awareness of where does where does what I can contribute stop and where do I need to find something else, something better than who I am and, and how I can operate. And that very rapidly then uh, led to the formation of a team around the problem or the challenge or the opportunity. Um, so those are two, two, stra uh, two straight up things that I thought about. And I think the third one, um, when you asked the do's and don'ts, the, the mindset of you learn something with everything you try. So who am I to tell you not to do stuff? Because actually in the doing stuff, I just don't understand your context. That great sense of humility around whatever you try, as long as you take in a mindset of I can learn something from this, um, I think is a really undervalued but incredibly valuable um, aspect to leadership um, it's not about necessarily the goal it's about the intention to learn and what can I take from that and what can we take from that so those are the things that really stood out yeah what I like about that is in today's society and we, we've got an episode planned on this kind of perfect world that people have projected about all the time and I hear a lot of younger leaders trying to be the person that's walked the journey already. And what I took from Ian was there's no one size fits all. So stop trying to make it like the other people's journey. I really took the sense of be in your own journey. Notice the choices you make. Look at how you develop your way to get to that success on that successful outcome and repeat it and experiment with it and, and try that stuff from there. So you're not looking for right or wrong. You're looking for what is and what's needed and what the outcomes are. You mentioned OKRs. He's got things that tell him it's on the right track or not. That are unique to the track that he's walking at that time. It's no one else's railroad. And what was really what was clear for me that he's appreciated that journey was when he started to talk about the things that were the harder stuff. And he recognized that 10 years ago, he used to display patterns that weren't ideal. And he mentioned about how that seems, in his view, it, it's contributing to the mental health challenges that seem to be appearing in, in a lot of people today. But what he developed was enough ability to step back long enough to do something differently and have confidence in that, both in stepping back and to do something differently and take it by the scruff of the neck rather than feeling overwhelmed by it hasn't worked what do I do? Mm. That stood out to be loads. What else jumped out for you, Derry? I thought it was fascinating the way he was focused around the systems about and the way he described his journey as 10 to 12 episodes that he's ever going to get into 12 opportunities he's ever going to get to deliver some change in something that he's interested about and i don't know how far through those 10 to 12 things he is he's probably six or seven episodes in you know and he's developed a set of systems that work he's developed i think they probably quite naturally had a mindset around learning around all of that so that each time he applies one of those systems he's then reflecting on how can he improve it and adapt it for the next episode and then a set of people. So he's got systems, he's got the learning mindset, and he's got the people that he wants around him. And that was a very clear kind of centered approach that he's taken to each of those those episodes. I was fascinated by the the team makeup that he described, like rooted in the analyst, the, the really capable person who's going to tell him what's going on and structure all of that systematically around it. But actually, the really fascinating bit for me was the fact that he had identified his own potential to be at times a little bit robotic, a little bit too clinical, and that bringing in somebody who was a world-class, empathetic leader into the team to show him those blind spots and make sure that he's leading with enough humanity, well, that was incredibly self-aware. Yeah. No, I... 
I, I care about that. It's a gap for me. I'm going to make sure every team I lead has somebody who is going to tell me when I'm slipping into some behavior. Yeah, I think there was a couple of moments that he talked about where... Is that not what I want to be? Say that one again, Derry. I... That last sentence. Yeah. Say the last sentence again, Derry. I thought it was really insightful that he had this awareness of the importance of empathy to building a great team and also of his own tendency towards potentially being a little robotic and a little clinical, particularly when things get stressful. And and that self-awareness was such that he'd actively decided to add empathetic people into his teams so that they can shine a light on areas where he is not would not naturally step when things get tough that was incredible level of self-awareness i thought yeah he mentioned a couple of um, moments in his experience which i think maybe if you if you synthesize them together so that self-awareness that humility that moment when he realized uh if you don't know the name of everybody on your team have to adopt a system but how do you adopt a system and not become overly robotic you know you start to make sure that your team has that ability to empathize in order for you to follow the advice but also as he realized uh, the important aspects of you you've got to end up doing less even though he was a very strong individual contributor you have to end up doing less but achieve more um so you kind of put all those together and you go wow how do you make sense of that well one of the ways he's found is to have that system, the system that incorporates the very humane, the very empathetic part of it, particularly as naturally as he's become more successful in his career. It's not just a thousand people he's now looking after, it's tens of thousands of people across multiple countries, time zones, and (laughs) thousands of sites. Um, So really fascinating to see how that's evolved. Yeah, and I I get the appreciation that you started to understand and accept certain things are just as they are. He's not going to be able to get to 15,000 people. So how do I how do I work to connect with 15,000 people in other ways, whether it's through the actions of my team, the performance and behavior of my team? I, I imagine he's quite, quite active in his listening of his leaders that he has around him. What's going on? What's understanding? He's very curious. He's, he's asking the questions that's going on under the surface. He's looking at the data. He's leaning on his data analyst and going, tell me where we're strong. Tell me where we've got holes. And imagine those kind of questions are some that he's asking and, and working with. I also got a real impression that he has patience in his career. Now, Jamie, you've known him a long time, right? Would you say patience has, has been part of his repertoire? It's not the word that would immediately jump to mind, to be honest, with with Ian. Um, But I say that with a question in my mind, and that's really how have I interpreted what I've experienced working alongside him, working in the same business with him on more than one occasion. Uh, Because we worked together both at Arthur Anderson and at Energis. Um, He is somebody who's always appeared to be very motivated and driven. But I think there's a really interesting, um, almost paradoxical mixture of he is clearly willing to trust his system and his process and learn from it, whilst at the outside, he's always pushing boundaries. So you what you work alongside him, you realize he is actively finding ways with the people around him, immediate around him, working on the problem he's trying to solve. He's willing to experiment. So it can come across as being almost dissatisfied and impatient with the status quo, whilst at the same time being very comfortable to trust that the process can work and that you can get there. So really interesting uh, balance that he's, he's managed to strike with that. Well, chaps. I was, had, um, I was really yeah. struck by... Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to know more what about Derry was observing, Thanks. curious about what he One wants to thing. Yeah, one, th- one thing that 
really jumped out at me was he talked about the importance of finding a really good mentor and working for really good people. And he actually said, it doesn't matter where in the organization that person sits. And actually it doesn't necessarily even matter what job you're doing for them. He put it on such a high level that you don't do any job for anybody in an organization if you believed that you were going to be able to learn from them and they were a good good mentor and that's that's where the lack of ego thing really shone out for me and i think that is something that a lot of people early in their careers it's very difficult to let that go if it's part of you is to want that status that role title to work for that particular organization because it's a good brand name on your cv to report into that particular person because they've got a good role title to let all of that go and view this as you've got 10 to 12 episodes to make a change as you go through your working life, pick the right ones and find people to learn from so you can make the best of that. And none of the the status and the, the role titles and all any of that really matters. And that's a really profound thing that I think he is is embedded into the way he makes decisions about what he does and who he does it with. I was super impressed by that. And I think that's a progressive thing for the young leaders of today, that kind of thinking. You know, you see a lot of people saying, I really want to give back. I really want to feel fulfilled in what I do. And I wonder whether that's an evolution of the thinking of the word fulfillment from the role that you do to say, it isn't about fulfilling the ego that's triggered off inside you. So you can afford the wonderlust holidays that you can uh, have the work line balance that every Instagram has ever shown you as being great and all of those things. Maybe it is part of what you're talking about there, Derry, where the fulfillment really can come for people. Mm. Fascinating chat. You say well, Ian well, Hallett on the old LinkedIn, Jamie. Ian Hallett, IWG. Um, he's certainly worth keeping an eye out, connect and follow um, for anybody who's interested in hearing his musings because he does fairly frequently post his thoughts about various matters that are going on in the world and occasionally he'll refer to some of the uh, byproducts of the research he's doing on his PhD, which I have to say, you know, for anybody interested in some really big picture stuff, is you know, fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating, particularly as you can imagine somebody with that kind of real human touch talking about matters that are typically really hard to get your head around. It is really worth looking out for. So, chaps, we reached the end of our time. It's been um, a real eye-opener for me um, how leadership um, can be something different from a journey, how leadership can be very human, very humble, um, and not actually intentionally about making a massive mark in, in life, but end up doing so anyway, um, whilst recognising the the challenges and the balance that you need to have. So perhaps this is a little bit like another one of those salutary moments uh, of it's not what you quite think it might be, um, this thing called leadership, um, but it's also not straightforward. So uh, until the next time, Good to see you both. Great to be with you as always, boys. Speak soon. Take care. any of the subjects we cover in this podcast spark inspiration curiosity or concern within you do drop us a line details are in the comments below and we'll be happily there to listen and see how we can offer the best support for you mm -hmm.